Well, it is wonderful to be with you. Um, I'm not going to share for very long. I'm aware that we have children here. I myself have three children. I've got an eight-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. We did 11, hour, 11 and a half hours in the car yesterday, so I do, I do understand. I am a sympathetic high priest from Hebrews 4. I understand your suffering. <laughs> Um, but I do want to uh, just just bring a, a very simple word to encourage you. Um, I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad to have chatted to Isaac. Who We were in the same meetings in India uh, more than 10 years ago, and we didn't even know that. But I was there in, in his church meetings and, and absolutely loved being with him. Um, I'm so glad to be here in this area. My mother grew up here for many, many years. Her own father was a, a Jewish atheist uh, he escaped Hitler, actually, from Europe. Resolved he would never, ever give his life to some God who would allow those things to happen. Uh, but the answer, of course, is that God has allowed us to go our own way, and that's why those things happened. But um, uh, I'm very glad to be here, and I know that God wants to do much in this area. And uh, I believe God is going to use, well, He always uses His people. But you know what? Honestly, the fact that any of us are even here today, that we have got out of our beds to gather with God's people because we love the Lord is an utter miracle. It is not a small thing. We sometimes downplay it. We sometimes think, well, this is just what we do. Well, it's not what we do at all. We are, we are in our default setting, we are enemies of God. The fact that any of us even wants to serve God, the fact that Elisha is standing here in the front going, I want to go for Jesus, it's a miracle. It's not normal. It's not how we came out, right? It's not how we, how we were born into this world. We were born into this world wanting to do our own thing. You just have to have, if you don't believe in original sin, have a child. You will believe in original sin. You don't have to teach your, you, you know, you, you've got to teach your kids to stop sinning. You, you, you don't have to teach them to sin. They can do it naturally. And we, we're born wanting to take things that aren't ours, wanting to do things that, that God does not want us to do. But here we are. Even the fact that many of us in this room, we're struggling against sin, for example. We're going, Lord, I don't want to sin against you. I want to break out of sinful patterns in my life. It's a sign of God at work in you. It should actually encourage us. Don't be sidelined by the fact that you maybe are not where you want to be with the Lord. Actually take stock that even the fact that I want to serve God is such a sign of the Holy Spirit at work in me and the grace of God in my life. It's a miracle, man. It's really not a small thing. Um, well, I've been impacted. I, I, my wife and I, she's, they're not here this morning. They're with us, but they're back in Edgemead. Uh, we've, we're going straight this afternoon into a whole bunch of meetings before the conference, and I uh, just needed to give them just a moment to breathe. Um, but uh, we've been so impacted back home. We lead the warmer PM congregation of Oxygen Life. I've been leading it. I don't, I, I'm terrible with dates and things like that. I've my, I have my wedding anniversary tattooed on my arm because I... <laughs> You know, what time is it? Oh, it's the 28th of January, yes. I need to buy, <laughs> buy something for my wife. Um, uh, we've been leading for five, six years with the PM congregation and uh, been so impacted just lately by the mercy of God, the incredible mercy of God. Um, we, you know, we've got to fight fights in terms of, uh, in, a, in a way, like, are we the true church? Are we fighting, fighting, holding theology? All these things, we must do them. But over everything is just the mercy of God. You know, we've had a situation, I realize there, there are children among us, I'm going to speak in, in code, I won't say anything that, I, that, that you don't have to worry, but we've had a situation in our church where um, there's been unfaithfulness in, in a marriage, two marriages, two families in the same church, 
but there was unfaithfulness between people in, in different marriages. And it's absolutely gutted us. It was three months ago. It really ripped us apart. It's actually a lady who was a deacon in the congregation I lead, and then a guy who was, who's been a leader before in another congregation. And it's really hard for us to deal with. I stood up and had to name it. I had to stand up and talk the PM congregation through it. And we've, we've really contended. And about a week or so ago, when Jonathan Conrath is down in town, God was so heavily present. The, this couple had done what they'd done and gone off. We weren't even there. And this man started coming under the conviction of God. And he said, what have I done? And he's, they've both gone back to their families. They've both gone back. And what was ripped apart, what was torn apart by the enemy, God has restored. And it's God's mercy. And I stood up last week Sunday night, and I, and I said, guys, you know, as we were about to worship, I said, we all know what's happened, and this is three months ago, and I stood up, and, and, and as deep as the depths of that sin was that shattered us, actually, as a congregation, the height of this repentance, the beauty of it, and we just worshiped God. The, the congregation, just, we just worshiped. We didn't even get to the preach. We just worshiped and worshiped. Thank you, God. And a couple walked in who, it was their first time. I'd been trying to get them to our meeting. So their first time that they'd come. And as they stood and listened to us describing this, they came afterwards and the, the husband said, that's our exact situation. I did that in my marriage. And I've never been able to receive God's forgiveness for it. And we prayed over them and he was forgiven. It's just like everywhere you look, you just mercy, 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 the mercy of God, the mercy of God. And, and obviously we know, I'm not going to try to balance the whole thing. We know we must live lives that are holy. We don't live unholy lives in order to access God's mercy. But when we as people who are fallen, when we, when we need God, God's mercy, which is every day, God, God is there. We thank God for that. I need His mercy so much. Um, I believe there's a, like a fresh sense of wonder at God's mercy, certainly for myself. And um, I want to just briefly remind you, put a few scriptures up, word, and I just want to remind us how we got here, just briefly. I honestly think there's many things we try and help each other with in our lives that, honestly, they're mainly sort of downstream of a, a losing perspective further up. And often you'll, you'll be, it'll be something like, I don't know, we're worshiping, and someone's sort of standing there like this, like, oh, this is great. That's okay, you can stand like this and worship God. But often, you, you know, I look at myself, this indifference that can take hold of me about God. What's the problem there? Why am I indifferent about the Lord sometimes? Why, why do I have to say to myself, come on, bro, I want to pray. You know, sometimes we try to teach each other, pray, come spend time praying. And it's like, oh, you know, it's hard. Honestly, those things are often just the result of forgetting how we got here. Forgetting how we got into the kingdom of God. Oh, my goodness. Because the slant of our heart just wants to pull us the other way. Everything in us, every religion that was invented, which is every other religion, gives people something to do to put themselves at the table. Give yourself a seat at the table. You want to be some, uh, what, I've seen photos of uh, Tibetan Buddhists crawling up the steps of the, of the temples, high up, crawling under the tables so that the holy books, maybe the wisdom of the holy books will fall upon them. I see Jehovah's Witnesses standing at, standing, they don't walk around and knock on doors anymore hard with all the security uh, things and the, uh, you know you just know uh, but they'll, they'll stand and man these sort of stands with pamphlets and they're standing there why because in that system you've got to prove that you've earned a seat at the table you've got to prove God accepts you because in Islam I've, I've such a heart for Muslim people and I've to many Muslim people 
In Islam, as long as your good deeds outnumber your bad, you're in. But they don't even know if the Prophet Muhammad is in. They're not sure. Oh. But only, only the gospel alone dares to say, God lets you in on the merit of Jesus. On the merit of Jesus. And we cannot move away from that. Um, the gospel message is that we have a problem we cannot solve. We can't fix it. I'll sometimes say to South African people, in this, Isaac, I don't know if you've picked up, but in South Africa, it's hard to preach the gospel to people. I say, do you know Jesus? I say, absolutely. Jesus is great. I've got no problem with him. What I say to people sometimes is, can I ask you a question? I hope it's not insulting, but do you feel like you've understood the gospel? And now people aren't sure. They're like, oh, if I say yes, maybe we're going to have some hectic conversation. If I say no, he's going to keep talking. <laughs> they kind of land on, I don't know. <laughs> I say, can I explain it to you? They say, oh, okay. I'll just say this. We have a problem we can't solve. The, the problem starts with us. The gospel starts with a problem, not with a solution. The gospel isn't Jesus loves you. That's not a solution to anything. Jesus loves you. Cool. I love me. Thanks. We make a great team, Jesus. We both love me. No, no. It's, I have a problem. I have a problem I can't fix. And the problem is everything in me wants to do everything against God. I want to sin against Him. And uh, God reaches out to us. There's an amazing scripture in Romans chapter 1. And it's actually the reason we're not the Catholic Church right now. It's because 500 years ago, a man called Martin Luther was sitting up in a high tower. And you know, 500 years ago, if you were a pastor or a priest, you actually didn't have a Bible. You would read commentaries on the Bible. Often you couldn't read. But Martin Luther could read, and he could read Latin. And he read Romans 1, and it's Romans 1 verse 16 and 17. And he was sitting up in this high tower. There's, the tower still exists today. You can go find it. And he reads this, Romans 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And we, we kind of read that and we quote Romans 1.16. It's like, I'm not ashamed. Woohoo! That's great. Don't be ashamed. But there's more. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. In other words, it's for everyone. For in the gospel, and this is the key. Martin Luther read this 500 years ago. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith, and he carries on. But it's a righteousness that's from God. And Martin Luther read it, and he thought, the entire system we're in, we're trying to sell indulgences, we're trying to buy little trinkets, and we're trying to prove, sorry, Brie, uh, walk it off. We're trying to prove that, like, we can, we can earn our way. It's a, and he's looking at the system, the papal system, and the monks, and the, and the Catholicism in the, of the Middle Ages. He's looking going, hang on, we prove that if you just get some relic from the cross, splinters of the cross, and they would sell it. These are the true splinters. They're definitely not the true splinters of the cross. But you buy these things, and if you buy them, and if you pay the church indulgences, if you pay them, they'll, they have the power to release your dead relatives from captivity in purgatory. And Martin Luther goes, so hang on, it's a righteousness from God. We don't go 20% of the way and God comes 80%. God comes 100% of the way to us. And the righteousness is given by God. It's, it's received. There's nothing we did. I know we've heard this. It's like we hear this. But how fast do we go back, drift back? We, we, we're kind of like people. I don't know what the most dangerous swimming spot here in, in Cape Town is, probably all of them. If, if, often where there's strong tides, if you just sit still, 
by the, by the next point, you look and, and whatever marker you've been used to keep yourself orientated in the water, you've way gone from it, and you've drifted down, and we like that. We sit in the tide of, of humanity, and we drift back towards. We drift back towards. Yeah, there's something I've done to earn a seat at the table, and God wants to come and smash that. And, and the result of that is not a given over to sin. The result of that is gratitude. As we sang this one, thank you, Lord. Praise you, God. It actually takes us more towards godliness. But again, how did we get here? How did we get into his kingdom? Children, this is for you as well. I pray that our children would get this younger than we did. Oh my goodness, this light only shone in my heart when I was, I rebelled against the Lord properly. I came back when I was about 22 and I wasted so much time. I pray our children would get this early. The righteousness is from God. But we begin to think if we're not careful, we drift over time. And we kind of start thinking we've entered God's kingdom. She has a favor to him. It's like, Lord, okay, I'm on your team. Aren't you happy? Like, you should be grateful. I'm very concerned about our young people today. Our young people around the world. How the gospel gets framed to young people. How, this, here's a common framing. You're so worthy that God, look what God did for you. It's like, yeah, God does bestow worth on us. But the gospel's not that I'm so worthy. The gospel's not, look at me. Look what God did for me. I must be amazing. It's look at, look what God did. He must be amazing. Lord, you're amazing. The gospel's not that I'm worthy. The gospel is that God is worthy. And it, everything displays his character. Everything displays him. I, I feel sometimes like even the gospel call, even the call to be born again be, starts becoming don't you want to just join God's team? He'd be so happy if you did. Honestly, it's like if we join his team or not, it's God. But as we give ourselves to him, he's glorified. His name is made great in salvation. He loved the world and he gave his son for the world. But we can't shift this thing. Because honestly, we're going to find ourselves, in a sense, losing the wonder we're going to find ourselves, we call each other to worship. Come, come worship at my house with me. Come pray with me at my house. And we kind of go, I don't know if you've ever felt like this. Probably not. I'm probably the only one. But you kind of feel, ah, ah, I'm busy. I've got stuff I've got to do. And that's okay. Sometimes we do have stuff we've got to do. But I think even now over this time, God wants to restore the wonder. Um, it causes problems to us when we move. What's the indifference that's settled in my heart? I've forgotten how we've got you. Look at this in Romans 3. I love this passage in Romans 3. Paul's making a case that we're all fallen. And you just have to look around you. You don't have to. Uh, it's, it's obvious, actually. But he says this. As it is written, and he starts taking little pieces of Scripture from different writers, Isaiah, and he takes from Psalms, and he starts putting them together in this little mixtape of, like, the best we're capable of, right? It's like our greatest... And look what it is. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. In other words, just, there's just death in what we even say. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God 
before their eyes. Now, those things should not depress us. It should actually reinforce the gospel. We read that and go, that is 100% true. If there's any part of me that thinks that's not true, God, forgive me. Lord, help me. But that thing doesn't drive me away from God. That drives me towards God. It's what, that describes the human condition accurately. And then he goes on, Paul says. Now we know that whatever the law says, that's the law God put in place, the, the law of morality, and the way God wants us to live. It says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, what I love about that passage is there's no difference between our fallenness, but there's also no difference in our redemption. That means God is not done with anyone. If you want to be done with God, you can be done with God. But God will reach out and He will redeem. The only sin God will never forgive is the sin that's not repented of. If you don't want His forgiveness, you don't have to have it. Any other sin, God can forgive. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? I don't know if any of us can sin worse than Peter did. Have you ever denied Jesus while standing there, bodily, looking at him, and you deny him three times and say, may I be cursed if, if I even ever met him? And Jesus forgives him. Oh, praise God for this. There is no difference. We've all fallen. And there's also no difference between our redemption. I, I, I'm so there was a, actually a um, man called Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm not going to describe what he did. A series made about him recently. I don't recommend watching it. I didn't. It, it, he, he was basically a man who, uh, he was a serial murderer. And Jeffrey Dahmer in the 90s, he, he was the most notorious at the time in America. He did things I, I can't even describe to you. And he goes to prison. They catch him. He goes to prison. And Jeffrey Dahmer in prison he does an interview on TV because they were fascinated by him, trying to get into his mind. And he says, I'm really lonely and I'm really sad. And a pastor was watching it and said, what's that? He said, who's that man? He finds him and he starts writing to him. He says, can I send you a Bible? Jeffrey Dahmer says, please. He sends him a Bible, then he sends him another 21 Bibles. And Dahmer starts handing them out. And he actually gets born again, Jeffrey Dahmer. It was a legitimate conversion. He writes to the, one of the pastors who was helping him and says, I, I know you're probably going to say no, and I'm not sure how to even ask this, but would you baptize me? The pastor says, would I? Well, you better believe it. They go there and they baptize him in the prison. Jeffrey Dahmer. They baptize him. And people were out to get him. He was the most notorious person in, the, in America at the time. They were out to get him. And in the end, one of his, his, in, his guy who stayed with him got him. He actually... Ended Dharma's life. And by all accounts, actually by this guy's own account, Dharma didn't even fight back. He just let him. And the pastor says, at the end of this thing, the pastor goes, today, when the, because the news found out about this interaction between church guys and Dharma, and they're like, what's going on? And they interview this pastor when he dies. And the whole America is celebrating that he's dead. This pastor says, today, the angels are rejoicing because one of God's sons has gone home. And, and you read this and go, is this possible? 
Could it be? And people said this. They said, he only got born again. It's a jailhouse conversion. He only got born again because he had no other option. To which I say, is there any other kind of person who gets born again? <laughs> like, oh, he was just in the worst predicament he could find himself in. Of course he turns to God. I'm like, that's who God came for. In fact, you're, if, you, if you don't think you're in the worst predicament you're in, you can't be born again. You just add some religion to your life. Oh, but Jesus came. We're all skeptical. We're like, oh, could he do all that stuff and actually be placed in the righteousness of Christ without even atoning for his sins? The answer is, what is the gospel? That's not true. The gospel's not true. He was born again. I, I can't wait to meet him. I can't wait to meet him. I'll probably spend a few thousand years just in front of Jesus. Just, <laughs> you're amazing. Then I'm fine. I want to find Dharma. If I run my race and I get there, I want to find Dharma. I want to meet him. Give him a high five and say, goodness me, it was true. The gospel was true. <laughs> How did we get here? Look at, look at Titus chapter 3. Look at Titus chapter 3. At one time, says Paul to Titus, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Because of His mercy. If I you might find me at a different time and I'm, I'm fighting battles and I'm doing stuff and I'm thinking on different lines, but right now I'm, I feel captivated by God's mercy. I feel absolutely captivated by it. Let me tell you, these people among us, what I described in the beginning, those two families and what that, that wife of the one family and the husband of the other family did was, in a sense, in a way, you could say it's unforgivable. Uh, but you know, God was working so profoundly when they both went back to their partners the husband said to his wife, could you ever take me back? And she said, you, you better believe I'll take you back. She received him back. The, the, the wife who was a deacon in our congregation, her husband was sitting with some, some friends. And they were talking about this whole thing. And, and he got a message from her. I don't know if you ever would. But would you? He said, tell me where you are right now. I will get in the car and I'll drive to you. You know, that thing is just so the heart of God. It's so God's heart. That man, I, you know, honestly, I don't even know if he knew what he was saying, but it's like he just tapped into God's heart straight away. It's like the prodigal son comes, comes to his senses, comes back, and the father runs to him. And I just praise God for his mercy. I pray we would never grow old, never grow old in God's mercy. We would never stop to go, how did we get here? How do I walk into this venue, stand here amongst a bunch of people, and just, Lord, I lift my voice to you? If we were living under the Old Testament covenant, you would be stopped where you are at. Hey, what have you done? How dare you walk in here? Are you ceremonially clean? You brought a sacrifice to offer with you. How dare you think you can just approach God? Are you out of your mind? We would be in so much trouble. And we come, we waltz into the presence of God. We walk in with all our stuff. Hey, how's it? Yeah, yeah, God, I love you, Lord. Hey, how are you? What are you doing afterwards? Springboks, what are they playing? Romania, who cares? I don't know. I, we, we just do this. It's like, hey, God, hey, people, hey, Neil, hey, Lord, hey, Jesus. We are so familiar with it. And it's beautiful. We must be familiar with it. But we must never forget the price that was paid. 
We must never forget the mercy that was extended to us. I do not want to grow old. Uh, it's, it's in a sense, it's like, it's like the Lord is eternally young in the sense that he, he's, he's full of um, purity and holiness and righteousness. Always, always excited, always redeeming. We grow old. I pray God would keep us in our hearts innocent, pure, and full of the love of God. That's what I say. I'm done. I don't have anything else. <laughs> but I praise God for these things. I, I praise God. I praise God for you. Praise God for Aaron leading this congregation, your leaders. You've got good people here, man. I believe, I, well, I don't have to say I believe as if I'm prophesying something. You're plonked in the middle of an area that is dark, man. It's, and welcome to planet Earth. It's like back home PE. It's, it's dark, there's darkness, spiritual darkness. But the Lord has triumphed over the enemy. And God is, he's releasing people from darkness. And I believe his word to his own people right now is to say, don't forget. Don't forget. To the extent that we live with the wonder of how we got here is going to be the extent that we are able to reach out to people. Because it's, it's, it's the difference between just being entrusted with something, I suppose I've got to do this, and going, oh my goodness. Let me end with one story. I love this story. I heard it from a pastor in America. He said he was at a conference. And they were worshiping, and he's standing in the front. He's going to speak. And he's standing in the front, and, and they're singing. And there's a woman dancing. He says, there's a woman dancing, like, in the middle. And he said she was moving so, um, what did the word be? She was moving in such an extreme way. He was distracted. He, he, he couldn't worship. And, and she was, in a sense, she was attracting so much attention to herself with how wildly she was moving. He said he was actually quite offended. And this pastor, is, is, it takes a lot to offend him. Um, and he said, standing looking at this, going, oh, my goodness, please, please no. And a lady came over to him, and she, she looked at him, and she said, look at that lady dancing. Isn't that beautiful? And he said, uh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's great. And this woman said to him, that woman was a, a, a lady of the night, speaking in code. She's a lady of the night for 27 years. And she's been set free. And she's been born again. And this pastor just said, oh, God, forgive me. He just, and then he just started celebrating. And it's like, oh, that, uh, for me, that story captures it. It's like, God is setting people free, man. There's no one he can't set free. And when he does, it's like we enter in. With that older brother, the father says, enter into my joy enter into my joy, that the brother of yours who was dead is alive. And we say, and I, I want to be, I want to live in that place of, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Well, I pray for, I pray that this congregation would hold the light of Jesus out. Hold it out. So I want to pray for you. I, I'm aware that Neil made a call for, for um, people to respond. I'm not going to, I'm not going to labor this. But I realize in these moments we can, we can go, oh, I don't know, man. Maybe if they ask once more. I'm actually not going to ask you to put up your hand, but I'm going to say this. If, if you are not, uh, in South Africa, we've got a lot of confusion about when people are born again or not because we all grow up with this stuff. And it's quite hard, actually, to understand whether someone's born again. All I say to people is this. If there's not fruit from your life, in other words, if your life doesn't reflect Jesus, I don't know, man, we should question. We should question ourselves. Paul said, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith to the Corinthians. And you might have even run from the Lord. 
You might have run away from God. I did that. And I actually got myself into a precarious position. Well, I'm going to say to you, please come talk to me afterwards. If you're not sure if you're standing with God, maybe you just had a bad day and you just need to be reassured. I don't know. But if you're not sure if you're standing with God, you just don't know. Where do I actually stand with God? Please come talk to me. I'll pray for you, man. I'll absolutely pray for you. But then I'd love to just pray for this congregation, if that's okay. Just pray over you. That the Lord will, will help us. That the Lord will help us. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, we worship you, Lord. Well, I know that this congregation is actually quite a unique one in the sense of being in this area. And, and I know that there will be complexities. And, and, and Lord, we know your heart. We know your heart is to bring in. Bring in, in a sense, all who feel like they haven't been invited. To invite them. And to proclaim it and say, yes, it's for you. I pray, Lord, that you will give us boldness. Boldness to wield your gospel. To ask openly, to not be afraid of this world that presses in on us, but to hold the words of Jesus. I pray that you will confirm your word with signs and wonders, Lord, to give us boldness to pray for people, for healing. As bold to pray, to, to ask you for words of knowledge, all those things, Lord. And we pray that people would be born again, the people walking the streets now, doing this gun run, who are running around and they do not know that you are wanting to intercept them. We pray that you'll intercept them, God. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, help us. And for us who love you, Lord, and are walking with you, I pray that we will never, ever forget and never move away from how we actually got here and what brought us into this kingdom of light. Lord, preserve us from presuming that you would have just taken us just on our own merit. <laughs> but we stand on the merit of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Pray your blessing over this congregation. Pray that it will, um, uh, there will be great fruit coming from it. Pray your blessing over the leaders to lead wisely and lead well. Thank you, Lord. And amen.